Hola, hello, bienvenido, and welcome to the Clear Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Annette Perel. Whether you're a first-time listener or a loyal returning guest, I want to extend a warm hola and hello to each and every one of you. For those of you who are new here, welcome, bienvenido. I encourage you to explore our previous podcast episodes. And to all our returning listeners, muchas gracias. Thank you for joining us once again. Now, before we dive into today's episode, let's take care of a few housekeeping matters. Throughout the show, I'll be referring to our segments as trimesters, mirroring the stages of pregnancies. So we have the first trimester, the second trimester, and the third trimester, each representing a unique part of our discussion. Additionally, instead of side notes, we'll be introducing Braxton Hicks. These moments will provide valuable information, sharing captivating stories, or offer deeper insights into the topics we're exploring. In this episode, we'll dive into breastfeeding and the ins and outs. I will share my personal story about my experience as a new mom. To give you a little insight, my son went through the first several days of his life without pooping. I know, right? Talk about stress. Now let's see how many days it was. Let's jump into the episode. First trimester, say her name. Today, let us take a moment to honor the memory of Black women who have tragically lost their lives as a result of systemic neglect and medical racism. Startling statistics reveal that Black women face a maternal mortality rate that is three to four times higher than that of white women, and a significant portion of these fatalities can be attributed to biased practices and neglect. As we reflect on this, we turn our attention to the experience of today's mother, Shamini Gibson. Shamini Gibson, a 30-year-old resident of Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn, was eagerly looking forward to the birth of her second child during the final months of her life. In a home video collage featured in the documentary Aftershock, she expressed her excitement, savoring each moment as she approached motherhood again. Her first child, Kari, was born via C-section in September 2019. However, shortly after giving birth, she started experiencing shortness of breath. Shamily and her partner, Omari Maynard, contacted doctors multiple times, but were told it was nothing serious. Sadly, the medical professionals didn't take her symptoms seriously enough. Two weeks postpartum, Shamily collapsed due to sharp chest pain. Emergency responders and doctors failed to recognize the gravity of her condition, even as her mother, Shawnee Benton Gibson, explained the recent C-section and symptoms. Tragically, Shamily died after 12 hours in the hospital, succumbing to pulmonary embolism, a blood clot that traveled to her lungs. This complication, often associated with major surgeries like C-sections, could have been prevented had her concerns been heeded in time. Shamily's story is not an isolated incident. In the United States, maternal mortality rates are alarmingly high, particularly for Black women. 
The U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed countries, with 861 women dying from pregnancy or childbirth-related causes in 2020 alone. Black women are three to four times more likely to die due to pregnancy complications compared to white women, with disparities being even higher in places like New York City. This tragic trend is particularly attributed to the medical racism, the dismissal of Black women's pain, and inadequate care. Shockingly, about 60% of these deaths are preventable, according to the CDC. Aftershock, directed by Tanya Lewis-Lee and Paula Islet, delves into the profound racial disparities in maternal and infant health. The documentary revolves around the experiences and advocacy of two grieving families, Shamani Gibsons and Amber Rose Isaacs. Amber was a Black Puerto Rican New Yorker who died at 26 from HELP syndrome, a complication of high blood pressure during pregnancy. Both Shamali and Amber were knowledgeable about the healthcare system, yet systemical racial biases in hospitals proved fatal. The film also explores potential solutions to the crisis. These include a more woman-centered approach to medical care, reintegrating and respecting midwives, a traditional profession among Black women, and providing more options for where and how women give birth. Currently, the U.S. relies heavily on C-sections, often unnecessarily, due to a complex web of incentives. The prevalence of C-sections lead to higher complications, driving the need for safer and more supportive alternatives. Despite the bleak current state of maternal health in the U.S., aftershock leaves room for optimism. People like Shawnee Benton Gibson, Omari Maynard, Bruce McIntyre III, and various advocates are turning their grief into activism, pushing for meaningful change in the system. The film urges the public to recognize the impact of these statistics on real people and families and call for greater support to those working towards a better future. We will not forget you, Shamily Gibson. second trimester. I'll start with saying my son was born at home. I tell this story in a previous episode if you want to listen to the whole birth story. I was a doula for four years before I gave birth to my son. I had attended a few hundred births and I knew a little about breastfeeding from my postpartum doula trainings and my interactions with CLCs, Certified Lactation Consultants, or IBCLCs. International Board Certified Lactation Consultants. The day he was born, he pooped and peed. His first pediatrician appointment was scheduled within the first week of his birth. The day he was born, he peed and he pooped. I thought everything was fine. I had the regular new mom exhaustion. I fed him frequently. Braxton Hicks. Colostrum is the first form of milk produced in the mammary glands. In pregnant humans, women start producing colostrum at four months of pregnancy. It is a concentrated and highly nutritious fluid that provides essential antibodies and nutrients to the newborn. 
aiding in the development of a strong immune system. Nursing the first hour after birth is highly beneficial for both mother and the baby. This early initiation of breastfeeding promotes bonding, stimulates the release of oxytocin, which aids in uterine contractions and reduces postpartum bleeding, and provides the newborn with colostrum, essential for their initial growth and immune protection. So that was day one of my son's life. Day two, only peas, no poop. I called the pediatrician and I was told this was normal for breastfed babies. This is not normal for breastfed babies. I had a postpartum doula come and help me with nursing. My son had a great latch and sucked well. We thought maybe he needed help releasing his sphincter so he could poop. We prepared a small bath and soaked him from the waist down. We massaged his belly and nothing. Day three, my midwife came for a visit. Still no poop, but a lot of pee. My midwife informed me that I should be experiencing my milk coming in. I would feel a warm sensation and then my breasts might feel warm and tingly and they would feel full and heavy. I did not experience any of that. Braxton Hicks. On day three or four after birth, the mature milk begins to come in, transitioning from colostrum. Mature breast milk is higher in volume and contains a balanced mix of proteins, carbohydrates, fats, vitamins, and minerals, catering to the growing needs of the infant. Feeding cues in newborns include rooting, turning their head, and opening their mouths when their cheek is touched, licking their lips, sucking on their fingers or fists, or making small sounds. These cues help parents know when the baby is ready to breastfeed. Day four. No sensations and still no poop. I called the pediatrician again. I was told again. It was normal. We had peas, but no poops. Everything is fine. It was not fine. Braxton Hicks. It's normal for newborns to lose up to 10% of their birth weight during the first week. This weight loss occurs due to factors like initial loss of body fluid, passage of meconium, which is the early stool, and adjustment to feeding patterns before their weight starts to stabilize and increase. The average length of nursing sessions can vary widely depending on the baby's age feeding efficiently, and individual needs. Typically, newborns may nurse for around 30 to 40 minutes in total, about 15 to 20 minutes per breast, per feeding. Day five, in all honesty, it was a blur. Braxton Hicks. Breast milk is considered the perfect food for infants because it contains a tailored balance of nutrients that specifically meets the baby's requirements for optimal growth and development. Additionally, breast milk provides antibodies and other immune factors that protect the baby against infections and diseases. Day 6. We called a lactation consultant. She had availability to come in two days. I was freaking out. My doula and my postpartum doula came over to take our mind off of things. You guessed it. Still no poop. 
Braxton Hicks. In the baby's first week, the number of wet diapers usually increases daily with at least one wet diaper on day one, two wet diapers on day two, and three on day three, and so on, including poop. Reaching around six or more wet diapers by day six. As for bowel movements, the baby may have one to four meconium stools on day one, transitioning to three or more yellowish CD stools per day by day four. I had none of that. Day seven, still no poop, and I'm freaking out and worried. My son would wake and sleep and nurse normally, but no poop. A bunch of pee, but no poop. I started praying to pooping gods. I was asking everyone I could for help. Braxton Hicks. The World Health Organization, WHO, recommends exclusive breastfeeding for the first six months of a baby's life, meaning the infant receives only breast milk without any other foods or liquids, followed by continued breastfeeding alongside complementary foods up to two years of age or beyond. Day eight, the day of the lactation appointment. Literally five minutes before the lactation consultant arrived, we had blast off. Literally, the sound that came from this little baby, we had poopageddon. It was pooptastic. Poop baby, poop baby, one, two, three. We were so happy. We were creating all kinds of songs. We were singing everything we could. There was so much poop, we could not believe someone so little had that much poop inside of them. When the IBCLC came in, we told her excitedly, we had poop. She asked to see it. And when she saw it, she said, okay, but it's not good because it was brown, green. And on day eight, it should be yellow and seedy. I was not producing enough milk. Talk about letting the air out of our balloon. I felt so deflated and dejected. I was happy about the poop, but my body wasn't doing what it needed to do. Here's what the IBCLC recommended. I would nurse my son, supplement with two ounces of either breast milk that I had previously pumped or formula, and then pump for 20 minutes after every feeding. Do you see the problem with this? I was given no end date and no follow-up. Braxton Hicks. There are various organizations that provide support and assistance to breastfeeding mothers, such as La Leche League International, UNICEF's Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative, and Lactation Consultants. Also, www.cascristopher.com offers access through insurance. I highly recommend LaShonda Dandridge. If you sign up, prenatally, either for breastfeeding classes, you will already be in the system and it'll be easier once the baby arrives. These organizations offer valuable resources, guidance, and encouragement to help mothers overcome breastfeeding challenges and ensure successful breastfeeding journey. Now back to me and this breastfeeding journey of mine. There are certain foods that are considered galactagogues. Galactagogues are foods that help increase milk supply. 
Here are just a few. One, Guinness Stout. Studies show that ingredients in beer can help increase prolactin. Prolactin is the hormone responsible for breast milk production. I chose not to drink beer. I'm a lightweight when it comes to drinking. And I drink, I get sleepy. And which I thought as a new mom, drinking and being sleepy and trying to keep a newborn alive was not in my cards. It did not seem like a fun time. Two, oatmeal, I ate it. Mother's milk tea, three, I drank it. A bunch of it. Four, almonds, I ate those like candy. And my mother would come by and she would bring me fresh juices, smoothies, and soups. These are all of the things I ate. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Your girl was exhausted. I cannot tell you how many days I lasted on that plan. One night, I got up to pump after I nursed. It must have been about two in the morning. I remember it was dark and I was sitting on the side of my bed just rocking back and forth. Not a comforting rock. More like I'm losing my mind. I felt manic. All I could think of was, I can't do this. I, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Braxton Hicks. I was very sure of the type of birth I wanted to have. A home birth, period. End of story. Just as I was sure I wanted a home birth, I also knew I wanted to breastfeed for all of the benefits. I grew up hearing stories about how my grandmother nursed my tia, Gloria, until she was five years old. And I knew this is my family history. I could do it. As I sat on my bed rocking, I thought about this schedule and decided that that was the thing that needed to change. I would do the routine suggested by the IBCLC, but I would do it during the day. But at night, I would exclusively nurse. Braxton Hicks. Breast milk production is highest at night. I know something needed to change. And I remembered that I wanted to give my son the best shot at being healthy, strong, and all of the benefits of immunities that breast milk had to offer. Our breastfeeding journey got off to a rocky start, but I was determined to figure it out. Quitting was not an option, but this schedule had to go. Once I made the decision, I felt a huge sense of relief. My friend's mother sent me a brick of canela, which is like a, you see them in the bodegas, they're round, it's cane sugar, pure cane sugar. She told me to warm it, put it in milk, and warm it up, and drink that every night. The first night I made it, the next morning I woke up and my breasts were engorged. I was so ecstatic. I could not believe it looked like someone had put a bunch of grapes underneath my skin. My breasts were so lumpy. It was so full of milk. I was so happy. I would have screamed, but I didn't want to wake the baby. But I was ecstatic. When I tell you, happy, happy. When I pumped, I got six ounces of milk from one breast. Previously, I was barely making two ounces. I was barely pumping two ounces when I pumped, and that was both breasts at times. Sometimes I would get one. It was very disheartening. It was also very, I felt very disappointed in the fact that my body wasn't doing the thing that it needed to do. But now that I had this, it pushed my milk production over the edge. 
I'm not going to give the cane sugar all of the credit, but I was doing a lot. I was eating all of these foods. I think it was the combination and my body just finally was receptive and said, here you go. Now, if you're curious about the time frame, at this point, it was two and a half months before my milk fully came in and it was a blur. Every day, I just nursed my son, pumped, supplemented, and I just was in that routine. And I was in it until it worked. In a week and a half after, we were going to take a trip to Panama so my son could meet my father. I was going to bring my pump and keep up the same routine I had at home. But my pump fell, and the part where the hose attached to the pump broke. When I called the company, they told me it would take two weeks to get that part. There was, even with expedited shipping, it wouldn't come in time. (sighs) Well, I didn't know what I was going to do. I had to trust that my body and my baby could keep up my supply. Guess what happened? It all worked out. My son continued to thrive while we were on vacation, eating, peeing, and pooping regularly. But I learned a valuable lesson as a new mom. Trust your gut. Third trimester. This is one of my favorite segments. I get to read your reviews. Great information and empowering to parents. This podcast is a welcome addition to an often overlooked field. Having a doula can be one of the best things for an expectant mother. And as such, it can also be one of the best things for an expectant dad. Annette is very knowledgeable and very experienced in all things birth related, as well as pregnancy and postpartum. This is from Gumbo Chef 7. Thank you, Gumbo Chef 7. Postpartum. Here are a few takeaways I hope you learn from my story. If you're pregnant, thinking about conceiving, or have a baby, think about the type of breastfeeding experience you want to have. Are you going to breastfeed for a month or for five years? It's up to you. Get a supportive team. Have your partner and family members and lactation consultants all on hand, encouraging you and supporting you on your journey and whatever you decide. Thank you for listening. I would appreciate it if you would leave a review and rate the podcast five stars. It helps other people find the podcast. Please check the show notes for resources from this episode. I love to hear from you and will read your review on a future episode. If you have any questions or comments, you can also send me an email at clearbirthpodcast at gmail.com. Happy birthing! This podcast was edited and managed by Wordy Productions.